Welcome to Look See, the podcast for anyone and everyone curious about the art, the artists, and the creative community in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. This week, I went to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts to talk with Michael Taylor, the museum's chief curator and deputy director for art and education. Michael is a relative newcomer to Richmond, having come here a little over a year ago after a career that took him from Philadelphia to Boston, then to Dartmouth College before he arrived here. We talked about Michael's appreciation for our jewel of an art museum from the perspective of someone who doesn't take it for granted that every city is graced with a world-class art museum. We also talked about the ways that museums are changing as people expect to experience the art and the space differently. Contemporary art is at the forefront of the art world right now, and museums like the VMFA are finding lots of meaningful ways to engage visitors with the art of the now, from mounting exhibitions of major living artists like Handy Wiley and Jasper Johns, to partnering with other Richmond art institutions like 1708 Gallery to bring local contemporary artists into the museum. Our modern eyes also view the art in the historical galleries of the museum differently. Many groups of artists were overlooked in the past as museums bought work and exhibited it. There were few women artists, African-American artists, and non-Christian, non-Western artists, for example. Michael and his team of curators and educators have set out to change that, to enliven the galleries and show a more complete picture of the history of art. So I'm here today at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts with Michael Taylor, the Chief Curator and Deputy Director for Art and Education. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. Great. It's lovely to be here. So, Michael, you are a relative newcomer to Richmond. I think you've been here a little over a year at the the museum. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about... What brought you here to Richmond, to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, and to this field of curation and museum administration? Well, I think that there are a number of things that attracted me to this position. The Virginia Museum of Fine Arts is, as I like to say, it's poised. It has all the great ingredients that you need for success. It has a fabulous collection. Uh, It's free, and it has wonderful restaurants, shops, you know, there's fabulous education programs. So it's sort of firing on all cylinders, and what I bring to the table is a lot of experience with art and education. That's been my background. Um, I was a curator of modern and contemporary art and a department head at the Philadelphia Museum. And I had a great mentor there called Anne Donancourt, and she died of breast cancer in 2008. And I just had that epiphany at that time that we need more Anne Donancourts in this world. We need more leaders who really put art and education first in the institutions so that museums stay true to their mission, true to their, what their true north is. What do you consider to be the core mission of a museum and a museum like the Virginia Museum, which is a collecting museum? It's, you know, what people call an encyclopedic museum, meaning it's trying to cover most of art history. Nobody can cover it all, but it's trying to represent art through the ages. So what do you think the core mission 
of this museum and museums like it is? Well, I think you're right. We, we, we are an encyclopedic museum, and we have holdings from many cultures, many time periods, and works of great quality, true masterpieces that, that can move you and offer you that kind of transcendent experience of being in front of a great work of art. I think that's our mission. Our, our mission is to offer those experiences to our visitors. But what goes hand in glove with that is the sense of being inclusive and welcoming, not being stuffy and standoffish. You know, our experience begins when you walk through the door. Is, is this a friendly place or not? You know, we do all sorts of things at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts to make you feel that this is your museum and it's your art. It's, the art doesn't belong to the curators. It doesn't belong to the educators or the conservators. It really belongs to the visitors. On the most basic level, I'm here to make sure that we put the art in the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. I want people around the country to look at Virginia and say, oh, I wish our museum was run like that. I wish we were doing these kinds of exhibitions and acquisitions. Well, of course, I'm sure that they are saying that. I know when I travel <laughs> around the country, I say, yeah, this is a nice museum, but the VMFA is better. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned art and education as your area of um, expertise and focus after uh, curating for many years. Yeah. And so what do you mean when you say art and education? So I guess, I guess for want of a better word, it would be the programs offered by the museum. So when you come to a museum, what can you expect to do and see? So there's the art on the walls and the art on display. There are the education programs, the offerings that we do. And these are kind of connected because there has to be an overall interpretation philosophy. And so the curators really view their galleries as how to showcase their collection for the visitors who come in. And the educators work with them on that. It's the same with exhibitions. Each exhibition has an interpretation plan that is really making sure that when the visitor comes through the door, they get the best experience possible. The curators are actively building the collections in their collection area. So that's another key function of mine is to make sure that they have the support to do that and that they're buying at the highest level and that they're buying works of, of great quality. That is all to me a joy, you know. That's when you kind of can't believe you're paid to do that. So I think that what, what's, what's great about this museum is we've got our mission straight, we have fabulous things to offer, and for the size of the city... It is a jewel. It is, is absolutely something where you pinch yourself that this world-class museum is right here and that it's run so well. I came across an article in the New York Times talking about the way that young art dealers are changing the way that they operate. And I hesitate to even say do business because, of course, they're trying to sell art and that's their jobs. But they are trying to move away from the uber commercialization that has happened at the top levels of the art world, say, in a New York or a London. 
and they're doing things like trying to show their artist's work in non-traditional locations. Somebody was mm. had mounted a show in an old Taco Bell. <laughs> I don't know how that went. Yeah. In some small town in Illinois. I see that as something that is affecting Richmond and the Virginia Museum as well. Some of the changes that the museum made a few years ago when they opened this beautiful new wing were aimed at that. We're aimed at the new ways that people encounter art. I think about this museum and contrast it with something like the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston, which is very traditional, and your encounter with the art is makes a lot of assumptions about what you're bringing to it in terms of your education and and you know exposure to the art that's there and and the Virginia Museum seems to have tr- is trying to sort of take a different route and open up mm-hmm. some different entry points for people to interact with the work that's here so you know, now you've been here a little over a year and you've got a bunch of stuff in the works, I'm sure, that, you know, are your own projects and, and sort of dreams that you're trying to make happen. And, and so are you, in doing that, how, to what degree are you taking into consideration this sort of new, moving away from a big institutional view of the way that we interact with art, whether it's a big museum or a big gallery or a big university well i think i think this is something that there's definitely a culture shift going on i actually think that the days of bricks and mortar art galleries as in selling art are sort of numbered now because increasingly it is about art fairs sort of traveling around the country with the the art rather than people going to, to one gallery and say looking through a print portfolio and finding the one they like and buying it. Now the consumer goes to an art fair and buys the single print that's on the wall. And you can say that something is lost in that. I think there's the sort of the loss of that kind of connoisseurship that comes from looking at everything. And what tends to happen now is it tends to also have a tremendous social side so the art goes hand in hand with the cocktail parties and that whole sort of art miami basel scene i would say that any museum in this country right now that is not engaged in some way with contemporary art is probably missing the boat I mean, you mentioned the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. I mean, they they cannot change their mission, and they don't want to. They don't want to be the Boston ICA, the Institute of Contemporary Art. They they have this fabulous collection that they inherited. And so their way of, of kind of embracing this present moment that we're in has been to have an artist-in-residence program. So they bring in a contemporary artist, and that artist enlivens their programs. We here at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts have a 21st century gallery that changes a lot. So we we want our visitors to be aware of what's current and what's new and and emerging. We also have a wonderful sculpture garden that we really want to activate. We had an exhibition here called In Light, 
with Gallery 1708 that really was so exciting. We had, we had 21,000 people in two days. This is an annual exhibition that goes around Richmond, but we'd never hosted it here. And that sort of showed us, I think, that if you can provide a platform for people to come and enjoy themselves and see art, that's great. And it doesn't have to be this kind of afternoon spent looking at one painting and reading 10 books about it. And, and, and I think both are important and both are key to the success. We do want the deeper engagement, but that can come in time. First of all, we need to get people through the door and realizing what we have to offer and that it, that it is for them. I think another key aspect to talk about is African and African-American art. We want to reach new audiences, diverse audiences. You know, when you come to a museum with, the, with a history like ours, where we were founded in 1936, there was no sense then of African-American art as even a category to consider. It was you know, going to be European, and if you were lucky, American. But times have changed, and now it's a time for us to have art on the walls that reflects the community that we live in. I think there's something incredible about the way the Kahindi Wiley exhibition we had brought in, in new audiences, and people really, I think, understood why we were doing that exhibition, why Kahindi Wiley is so important, and why the Kende Wiley exhibition was important for VMFA and Richmond. The success of that show is what we build on as we go forward. We really see the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts very soon having one of the greatest collections and concentrations on African-American art in the country. That is going to be a fabulous platform to build. You know, one of the things, too, about having something like the Kendi Wiley exhibition in this museum or a museum like this, so there are many interesting kind of touch points of having that, not the least of which, and probably the most important of which, is the fact that it was here in the South. When Kendi Wiley was here, he spoke to that and spoke to the difference in the response when he showed in Seattle and Brooklyn and and here. I think that's just wonderful to have that experience. But also having a, a living artist share his work. You know, we don't have Monet speaking to us about his process and, you know, what he was thinking about when he created the work that is hanging on the wall that you're looking at of his. It's up to the curators to interpret that based on their research and to to tell us about it. Well, when you went to see the Kahindi Wiley show, it was him yeah. writing the words that were on the wall about his own work and explaining it to you. And I think that, in turn, enlivens the work of the artists who are dead, who we don't hear from directly, because it makes you think, hmm, that artist was also thinking through all of these problems and processes and once was controversial and new and and in light, the same thing. You know, that's even a, you know, you're pushing it even further. Kehinde Wiley, even though he's only in his 30s or maybe close to 40, still is an incredibly established artist with a, an amazing career and the the artists who were creating the works for Inlight were literally you know most of them 
just starting out in their careers. And to see that work juxtaposed with Chihuly, for example, gives you a whole different perspective. And so, you know, the museum bringing that work into the space changes the experience. Yeah, and also what I, what I loved about Inlight was the collaboration with 1708 Gallery and the fact that we can be a partner. I mean, I'm very excited about the new Institute for Contemporary Art at, at VCU. I think that is another natural partner for us. What we can't be is the ivory tower museum on the hill. You know, we, we, we need to be a partner. We need to be a museum that can collaborate And the more we collaborate, the more it becomes about the community. And speaking of the ICA in 1708, for example, which is sort of a hybrid gallery, but also with a, you know, nonprofit kind of academic bent, they are non-collecting institutions. And the Virginia Museum is a collecting institution. And the opportunities and challenges of that, particularly in contemporary art, how are you thinking about that right now? Like I'm thinking, for example, there are lots of artists working today in very untraditional media, not really made with the idea that it's going to last. And how do you conserve that, for example, when you're just showing it at the ICA and then you're giving it back to the artist or the gallery or whatever? You don't have those concerns, but you all do. You have to make, you know, take care of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And and it, it... That is ultimately the distinction between what we do and what other places do is that we are a collecting institution. We have a collection of more than 35,000 works of art. We do collect contemporary art and we collect it in all media and new media can be a challenge. You know, we don't want to shy away from it. I would not ever want to stand up and say, wow, that's the most incredible work of art I've ever seen, but I don't think we should acquire it because, you know, where would we show it? Or how do we know it would still look that way in 50 years? I I, I feel like, you know, the history of museums is that they've always had to adjust. And we have a great conservation department here, and the conservators love this challenge. And this is not a new thing. I mean, really, with the rise of modern art, which is my sort of field of interest and where my scholarship has been, these debates were happening then. I mean, the early 20th century, there were were the same debates, you know, will this art last? Is this art even important? And how does it fit with the canon? So what you learn from history is that there's always ways in which museums adapt and change to reflect the climate that they're in. As long as you are going into these things with open eyes, you can acquire works of art that are challenging, and that's that's why they're challenging and why often they're so important. I'll give you an example. We bought a work in Philadelphia by an artist called Zoe Leonard, and it was called Strange Fruit, and it was dedicated to a guy called David Wonorovich, who died of AIDS. And this artist, Zoe Leonard, peeled bananas and ate them. She had, a, I don't know, about 100 banana skins, and she sewed them up, so they were incredibly delicate. The meaning of the piece was that eventually 
the fruit would wither and die. And so what once was beautiful would be lost. And we had a fascinating conversation with our conservation department because they said, well, one of the things we can do is freeze it. So we can actually hold the, the banana skins and keep them a little yellow. And yet the artist was insistent that the beauty and, and metaphor of, of this, you know, which was an homage to her friend, was that it, that it disintegrate and die and that that was the piece. I think you approach each piece individually. I am never going to say, oh, we could never touch that. You just have to have an open mind and an open heart. And if it speaks to you and if it moves you, then it's usually a great work of art. So that is a wonderful example because not only does that speak to the materials, but also to the artist's intent. Yeah. You know, what the piece is to the artist is potentially changed you know, by somebody collecting it. What did you end up doing in that case? Well, what's amazing about that piece is its resilience. We ended up showing it, and it did disintegrate, but it is still alive in a funny way because you still have the beautiful threads. She used different color threads. And the banana peels are still, they're blackened. They went hard, but they're still pretty much there, so you can keep showing it. And that was where we ended up in the end, was to agree to rotate it every few years so that people would see it in its life cycle, knowing that one day it will be dust. You know, and I think that what I always want museums to do is to be open. So if you had that idea of of a European art collection in 1936, we don't live in that time now. What, What does a European art collection look like now? So Mitchell Merling, who is our wonderful curator of European art, he's constantly on the look for works that push the envelope, that ask new questions. He bought a a kiddish cup, an 18th century beautiful silver gilt kiddish cup. That was the first piece of Judaica to enter the collection last year. You can ask yourself, why did it take us that long to buy one? But I would also say, wow, what an incredible acquisition. That one piece suddenly opened up connections across the museum with the Gans collection of of English silver, with the medieval galleries, with German expressionism. Suddenly, one object, just one tiny object, this Kiddush cup, made a dialogue that was really profound. And that also brings to mind the idea that the so-called canon that you referred to earlier of art history and, and that we think of as being especially a part of a museum like the Virginia Museum is not a static thing. You can bring a piece in that isn't from a different time period. When you started telling that story, I thought, oh, he's going to talk about some piece of art by some modern, you know, contemporary no, Bulgarian artist or something. Yeah, it doesn't but no, to. it's yeah. from the time period of the pieces that are already in the collection, but it expresses something different that at one point wasn't valued by the, quote, canon. Yeah. The canon is constantly changing. Certainly during the era of civil rights in the 60s, of of feminism, it became a natural thing to say, well, where's the women artists? Where are the African-American artists? In a way, what we have to do is to right a historical wrong. We We have to 
get the best works of African American art because we should have been buying those and we weren't. And I'm I'm talking about the early decades of the museum. Once you start to do that, it changes your whole philosophy. We bought a wonderful work of a Virgin of Guadalupe, an 18th century Mexican artist, Luis Buraco, and it hangs in tapestry court, and it hangs with English portraiture, you know, and, and wonderful European tapestries. It activates that room in a fabulous way. Ultimately, if we can't be pliable and change, we have no future. We have to reflect the audience that is visiting our museum. This is why Kehinde Wiley's work is so resonant with what's happening today, is that he's asking us, so where are the African-Americans on view? Where are the Africans? When you get an artist like Kehinde Wiley here, it asks you new questions of your collection, and really your role then is to answer them. And, And we're answering that question with an institution-wide look at diversity. We, we need diversity on our staff, and we certainly need diversity in our galleries. I love the fact that you have displayed the Virgin of Guadalupe with the tapestries because they were being created you know, at the same time, but you you don't think of that when when you're just walking through a gallery that is, it, it makes you realize how narrow the way that we have sort of become accustomed to having our art shown to us yeah. is. We want to be there for everyone. You can say it's your art, but who are you saying that to? What I would say about what we're doing is we're curating at a very high level. I think these exhibitions could be anywhere. They could be at the Metropolitan Museum. They could be at the Louvre in Paris or the National Gallery or Tate in London. But they're right here in Richmond. And and I think that's something really important for our community and for our state. We should be very proud of of the kind of the caliber of exhibitions that we're bringing here. But also that we are creating. At a certain moment, you have to look at your curatorial team and say, what are the exhibitions you're going to do? We have wonderful curators here. My job is for every single one of these curators to have an exhibition with a catalogue in the next five years. All the ingredients for success are there. Great art, great curators, great educators, great designers. So I, I feel very confident that we will keep giving our visitors those wonderful art experiences and education experiences. That's what I'm here to do. Well, we have not discussed Duchamp. What can I say? He's the most radical and influential artist of the 20th century. You know, when I show up at a museum, there's probably going to be some sort of Duchamp component that I'll bring. Probably of all the artists of the 20th century, he probably thought the deepest about museums. So my desire has always been to build a Duchampian museum, and it is a museum very much like our one, a museum that is for art and for artists, but also for the community. For him, it was the viewer that was really the artist who completed the creative act with their interpretation, and that's very inspirational in itself. 
Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Great. I love it. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening to the show today. We're a project of Look-See, an online forum for the visual arts in Richmond and beyond. Go to look-see.net for more to watch, read, do, and listen to about Richmond's vibrant creative community. I'm Paige Goodpasture.